Uh, wonderful to have the opportunity to be here with you this afternoon. Started off a little bit rough over towards my place, but the old rig got down the street and I made it here fine. And I'm looking forward to sharing what the Lord has uh, given me to preach this afternoon. Uh, turn over to uh, open up your Bibles to James, first chapter. I'm going to look at just one verse, the last verse of. Uh, of that chapter. <clears throat> Some people believe that the commentators that the James might have been the first book that was uh, written and circulated um, strictly because from historical uh, reasons but also for the need that was of the early New Testament church. And this verse then as now there was a lot of religion in the world. And even in this first century A.D., the, the church that Jesus had built and the doctrines that it was founded on, some churches had already begun to stray. You know very, 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 very well when Pastor Demlo is taught out of the book of Galatians, how that, you know, that when Paul wrote to them, he says they marveled they'd so soon f fell away to another gospel. And so the exhortation through much of, of uh, Paul's writings and in this book of James is to stay to the stuff that you know in the beginning. And the, the challenge is now for us too to be able to delineate what is the truth about God's church, about his religion, and uh, our, uh, our responsibility to it. Let's read James chapter 1 verse 27. It says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. So this is, he's saying, this is right from God. Now, get serious. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Let's go to the Lord again and we'll continue. We, we thank you, God, that we can have the written word before us, that we can know everything in the matter of our faith and practice of the Christian religion. We look, need to look no farther than the pages of this book to find the answers to the matters of our salvation and the matters of service. Lord, that we could be prepared for the, the challenges of this life, that we could be prepared for the time when we could come to you and worship in spirit and truth in heaven. I pray in Christ's name, amen. The definition of religion as stated by Webster's 1828 dictionary is, it is in its most comprehensive sense, it includes a belief in the being and perfections of God in the revelation of his will to man. That's in the Bible, to man, in man's obligation to obey his commands, that's through the law, in a state of reward and punishment, in the reality of heaven and hell, and in man's accountableness to God, and also true godliness or piety of life with the practice of all moral duties. That is what is encompassed in the, in the dictionary definition of religion. And in truth, it encompasses much and, much and more that, but the very truth that, as, Debster, as, as Webster wrote here, he was talking about the Christian religion. 
I was taken in a, a while back, I had a, a book that I was going through and it, it quoted one of the justices of the Supreme Court in the United States of America and he said that we, in this whatever, we are a Christian nation. Well, it was founded upon Christian principles in its constitution and so on, but <clears throat> that's not just what religion is. According to Wikipedia, and don't you love Wikipedia? <laughs> I use it. According to some estimates, there are roughly 4,200 religions, churches, denominations, religious bodies, faith groups, tribes, cultures, movements, ultimate concerns, which at some point in the future will be countless. <clears throat> When I read that, I got kind of a chuckle on that last phrase, that will be countless. You know, I think Wikipedia even has a sense of humor sometimes with people that write that. But you know, in truth, it's incredibly true. For ultimately, every living, breathing soul in this world has his or own personal standards for their justification before God and man. We are religious people. Even, the, even an atheist or an agnostic, by definition, they have a belief system. That's their religion. That's what they're their faith in for their practice in this life. The current trend in religious philosophy simply boils down to this. Whatever you sincerely believe will justify you before God and get you into heaven. But is this so? How can we know for sure? Well, we can, just from what James says, pure religion and undefiled. That means what? That means that there is some religion that is not pure and it is defiled. Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, and of course all those who call themselves Christians have a belief system based upon certain teachings or writings. The Muslim, Muslims have their Quran, Hindus and Buddhists, Confucianists, uh, Confucians have their own writings that they follow for their practice for, for now and for uh, the existence of, uh, of their soul when they die. Uh, and all are based upon uh, teachings and writings and they're very sincere in their belief in them. Very, very sincere. Consider the dedication of the Muslims that are willing, the jihadists that are willing to sacrifice their life and blow up a bomb to kill other people. They do that believing that they're doing the right thing because that's what the religion tells them. We're going to look at what the Bible says about pure religion and undefiled as God sees it. And that's something that we need to, to come to an agreement with. Um, there are some writings that were written by men for men. They are not inspired by God, but either the flesh, movings of the flesh, or Satan, who Satan ever works to supplant or take the place of the truth of God's word. And he tries to do that through putting something out there that's, that's more appealing to the, to, the, to the person on the street, to the individual. 
pure religion and undefiled before God. Something that has not been adulterated, something that has not been changed, something that has not been violated, something that has not been added to or subtracted from, something that came from the very uh, heart of God. And you know, there's been, in this time, there was, there was a plethora of, of religions in every culture, every nation. Romans, Greek, you could go, you know, if you could go back into the time when, uh, in Bible times, the people that came across the Bering Sea Bridge and so on, they were in Alaska, they were in Siberia, the people that lived in Samoa, and the, 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 the South Sea Islands and so on, they all had belief systems. One way, shape, or form. And all of them were, to some degree, were knockoffs off the truth. Where do you think they got the idea about sacrificing humans for atonement, for rightness with their God? Well, it came from Jesus, the Bible. The Bible taught about the sacrifice that God would make. For the, he would sacrifice himself for the world's sin. Not wanting to do that, they built their own religions, their own belief systems that are so far and very far away from God. <laughs> the first century philosopher Lucretius, he said, First I teach great things in lofty strains and loose men from religion's chains. Uh, he was what it was called an epicurist. He just leave, basically eat, drink, and tomorrow, tomorrow we die. Um, there's a lot of people that live like that today that wouldn't think about calling themselves something like that, but nevertheless, it's all they live for is self and the fulfillments of the flesh. And as it's been taught and preached and mentioned even today, whatever you give yourself to, you're going to get back that reward. You sow to the flesh, you sow to wickedness, you're going to get back wickedness. Ultimately, the, God, the wrath of God abides on every individual that does not come to him and accept his, the pure religion of the gospel. That, that those that fail to put their eyes on this truth and make it a permanent part of their life and standard for life and being. There are many diverse churches in Christendom. Most use the Bible or some form of it as a base for their faith. Some do not. The Book of Mormon, or the Mormons use, uh, they will pack around the King James Bible, but when it comes right down to it, it's the Book of Mormon or the Pearl of Great Price that they're going to base their doctrine on. And other, other religions have the same, the same thing. <clears throat> and I'll go this far too. I know you get into trouble with some people, but the false... Uh, all the, the many, many, many dozens or even hundreds now of, in, of uh, interpretations, so-called Bibles, they don't, they don't con contain the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Many of them have, have uh, the, the false teachings in them lead people into the, 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 what I call the rockabye baby. You know, rockabye baby in the treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall. And down will come baby, cradle and all. Now what responsible mother would ever do that? You say, none. But here it is. What these false religions do is that they, this cotton candy religion, it goes down easy and it's kind of sweet, 
But in the end, it, it lulls people and it puts them in a position where they're so comfortable where they're at that they never look for anything else. And so when the bow breaks, when the time of their death comes, down will come that soul and be headed straight to hell because they put their faith in an in a unpure and an adulterated gospel message. And so what I want to do quickly here is to go through about the authority of Scripture. I don't know how many times, thousands of times in the Old Testament, there, there are phrases like, and God said, you know, the Lord said to me, and so on, and where Isaiah and the prophets, and many, many time, time and time and time and time again, they gave, the, the source of the revelation came right from God. And you need to get it settled that from Genesis to the Revelation, it's all God's word and it's all of, of the same value and worth. We may not understand it all. You might not like reading the genealogies. Well, don't read them. But don't, but, but, but don't remember that it's still a part of God's word. And God wouldn't have put it in there if it wasn't for a purpose. No. We looked at some of these verses, <clears throat> Brother Seth looked at today. Um, we want to consider the author of the Bible. Now I'm going to, going to offer up something to you here now. I don't know if I brought that up here with me. Yeah, I did. What I'm going to try to, this is a little rabbit trail. I'm going to urge you about something. You know how Ray Comfort, Kirk Cameron, they use the, do you consider yourself a good person as a kind of an icebreaker to get people interested into leading them into some spiritual matters? You're familiar with it? Okay. I would challenge you after we look at this, this sermon that you'd use this question with some. You may be talking to some people that, are, that have a belief system, they have a church, they have something that they believe in. <clears throat> Ask them, do you consider yourself a religious person? And then depending, it doesn't matter if they say yes, no, maybe, or why. You want to see what the Bible says about that? What God says about that? And show them this verse. And then go from there and see where you can go with it. Do you consider yourself a, a spiritual person? Do you consider yourself a religious person? Well, here's what the Bible says. Because in the end... Until you can get people to, to believe and understand the veracity of this book, until they can understand that it's for them, that Jesus Christ came into the world to pay for their sin, there'll be no, there's no need for accounting. There'll be no need for the gospel until they understand that they're lost. 2 Peter 1.21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they are moved by the Holy Ghost, that means that they're borne along, just like that, that sailing ship out in the ocean. It has no impetus of itself. When the wind goes in the sails, it carries it along. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's, it's God-breathed. It's a, it's a miracle how that the, that the Holy Spirit worked on those Bible writers that they could record the word the word of God, as from God, even like David. And they could, he could, they could couch it in such a way that you could, you could tell, like David wrote stuff about, the Lord is my shepherd. 
He understood about that. And he passed upon those, those wonderful truths to us in a way that we can understand and relate to. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 says that God who at sundry times, different times, 1,500 years or so, from, from about A.D. 1400 to uh, uh, B, uh, B.C. 1400 to about A.D. 100, 1,500 years, 40 men in different ways, different times, and in diverse manners through direct revelation, through dreams, through visions, and so on, the Word of God was given. Uh, this time past was given unto the fathers by the prophets, having these last days spoken unto us by his Son. There, there it ends. Who hath appointed, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. It's, there's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful study just in that, in, would you ever see those things about creation and note those things? They, most people pass it over. When Jesus, when it says that Jesus was the creator of all things, that makes him the sovereign God. He has the right to rule and reign, and, he has, and God has the right to set the standards by which of obedience for, his, uh, for, for rightness with him, for our righteousness. Our righteousness only comes through, can be found through his righteousness. One more verse, and this is a good one from out of Proverbs. You, know, you don't run into this one very often about the veracity of Scripture. Uh, it says, uh, Proverbs 20, 22, 20-21, Have not I written to thee excellent things and counsels and knowledge that, or for the purpose, now I want you to hear this, that I might make thee know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. <clears throat> like it says in the New Testament, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is within you in meekness and fear. What is your hope in? It's what this Bible teaches you. It's the truth of this Bible that has the matter of our of our the way of our salvation and the way of our service. <clears throat> because God is holy, so is his word holy, perfect. Because God is wise, so is his word, the source of all wisdom. Read the first chapter of Proverbs when Solomon wrote to his son. <clears throat> he talked to him about verse seven, about the true source of wisdom. Because God is truth, so is word 100% truth. The Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Jesus Christ said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you're looking for rightness with God, you're not going to find it out in the bookstore. You're not going to find it out in the field, you know, or in the teachings of men. But you're going to find it in this book. Because God said that pure religion, if you want to have a right right relationship with him is going to have to come his way and through his word, through his truth. So let's look at this first introductory statement. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. The Bible says that religion, the religion he has given to the world is both pure and undefiled as himself. Psalm 12 verses 6 and 7 it says that the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. 
That's about the inspiration. And he says, thou shalt keep them, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So God gave his word and he's preserved it <clears throat> in the Masoretic text in the Hebrew and in the Textus Receptus in the Greek that we can hold the very thoughts of God before us. Pure simply means holy, free from defilement. Um, undefiled means it's not polluted. Pure religion and undefiled. Now, how is that? One way good to look at it is like this. You're really thirsty and you go get that. I don't know what I do. I've got a, my little Brita in there and I got ice cold water in there and I pour that glass of water. I get ready to take a drink of it and somebody comes along and they put a dropper or something else in there. I don't know what it is. You're going to drink that? I'm not going to drink that because it's, it's not pure anymore. It's been defiled. Might have been a drop of acid. Might have been a drop of sewage. One drop is enough to defile that. In the same way, <clears throat> God wants us to know and to respect his word for what it is. The whole truth and nothing but the truth. There was an admonition in the book of Deuteronomy that given to the children of Israel to not add to or subtract from his word lest that a curse come upon them. You read on the last page of the Bible. The same, the same, very same curse was put upon people in, in the book of Revelation. Don't add to it and don't take from it. Why? Because it makes a little difference. A little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. They take the blood out. <laughs> they change John, uh, John 1, 1 to in the beginning was the word. To, in the beginning was a well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the same as the being with God, in the beginning was a God, they put it, not the God. Not just a little g God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, not a God. Little change. But there are denominations that use that as, a, as a, something to hold their own position on so that Jesus isn't even deity. Well, it's blasphemy. But I want you to know and understand there's thousands of even millions of people that are being held in the, in the, in the snares of the devil, in, a, in the snares of a belief system that is not the pure religion, it's not the pure gospel. Colossians 2.8 Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit and the traditions of men and the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So all that's all those beautiful self-help books and stuff in there, religious, comparative religion. As far as I'm concerned, there are some books that it wouldn't be bad to burn. The Nazis burned Christian books and Bibles because they didn't want to have people that know anything about God. But this book is a pure book. And it is from that that everything for our faith and practice should be founded upon, especially what is more precious to you than your soul, than the existence, the, the conscious existence that you experience right now. I've used this many, many times, I'm not going to stop using it. That the consciousness which you experience right now is going to exist when you die in one of two places, heaven or hell. 
depending upon your action, to follow the truth and make a personal relationship with the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says before God the Father in this, again, when God says it, that should settle it. Too many people, and, and I know, I know from, from being raised in a, in a Protestant religion, that, it, that sometimes just the, the changing of terms of grace and mercy and forgiveness and baptism, it changes the whole people's mindsets and understanding about what this book is about and it defiles it, it changes it from something that's the truth to something that's false. And again, it's like it talks about it in, in Brother Seth used that, that verse two, Exodus 34 verse seven, provides mercy in, uh, to, to thousands but will not cleanse the, uh, will not forgive uh, the guilty, visiting their iniquity upon them to the second and third and fourth generation. What happens is, once a, once a, a, a family accepts a, a certain belief system, and then they're trained that way, and then they go on, and then they train their kids, and they turn their family, and pretty soon, well, so we've always believed. How could it be wrong? Our families have been, been worshiping that way since whenever, since they came to this country. Well, if it isn't after the gospel, if it isn't pure religion, I'm sorry, but you're lost and going to hell if you put your faith and trust in anything other than the pure gospel of Christ. It's a serious thing. So what I say, what do you regard as being most valuable to you? Well, it should be your soul, because ultimately that's gonna, it's gonna exist in one of two planes, heaven or hell. Uh, most people are real careful to take care of their health, you know? I see people, when I used to work at Crescent, I'd go by the health club down there and they'd be just jammed with cars every morning, people working out, well, fine. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. The bodily exercise profiteth little because your soul, you're gonna, ultimately you're gonna die anyway. Doesn't make any difference if you're a muscle builder or you're a marathon runner. If you don't know Christ and how you took care of this body, isn't gonna make any difference. And so again, Think about this matter of, and question people. Do you consider yourself a spiritual person? Do you consider yourself a religious person? I think perhaps in my day, that, that question would have piqued more interest than it does today. Nevertheless, whatever you can use as a tool to get somebody's ear, you learn to use it. Because it's for the souls of man. You remember what I read on Wednesday night about the men in the jail? It's not about me. It's about Christ. It's about the souls of those men that are in jeopardy of going to hell without Christ. And so what do we do? We go in and we give them the truth. We give them what they need to hear. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did in his ministry. Do you understand? He didn't give people always what they wanted to hear, but he always gave them what they needed to hear. 
Even those scribes and Pharisees, when he called them hypocrites and vipers, they needed some of those. They finally got it through their head, like, like uh, Zacchaeus and Nicodemus and some of those finally got through their head that the belief system that they've been putting their faith in, even a man that sat on the, the Sanhedrin, that they understood that their religion was defiled and that it was corrupt and it had no efficacy, it had no life-giving qualities in it at all. And when they heard the gospel, they understood that that had the truth and it had life and they cleaved to it. <clears throat> okay, another qualification for pure religion is to visit the widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. The first part of that is probably easier to, uh, you know, to, to act on or to, to do because the last one really is uh, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. It's, a, it's pretty much a whole awakening uh, uh, experience or trial for, for most of us. Though I'll say before I was saved, I, never, I didn't struggle with sin. I just did it because it's what I wanted to do. But after I got saved, the Lord gave me another, a new heart. So I couldn't do the drugs. I couldn't do the alcohol. I couldn't chase after women. I couldn't, I couldn't curse with impunity anymore. I had to start to bite my tongue. Because God wasn't happy with it from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within me. You know, that's what happens. A little rabbit trail. No, 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 no lost person can claim an unction or anything from the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit doesn't indwell sin-sick people. He does reprove them of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. But like it says in Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The moment in time that I believed on Christ as my Savior, he blood washed me. <clears throat> and then he was able to move in and indwell me. First Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, now I do. And he said he gave us an earnest of our salvation. An earnest is like that earnest money, put down a, a, a payment on the house. Well, the earnest for the Christian is the, is the Holy Spirit. I know he's there. I know that he's there in me. And that he'll never leave me off. And I thank God when he gives me a kick in the pants when I do this or that that I shouldn't. That's his work. Because he cares about me. He cares about the witness that I give to this world. First, the simplification. Here we go. First shot. This verse is a simplification of the following verse taken from the book of Isaiah. So bear along with me. If you have your Bible there, you can turn to it. In Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. And I want you to note the number of imperatives that are given here. Isaiah begins, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. 
that's pure religion and undefiled before God. To seek judgment means to diligently or pursue justice. It's all about sanctification. Did you, did you get that? Wash you. Make you clean. You see, the moment in time that we believe on Christ as our Savior, we become justified by faith. That takes care of the, the, the penalty of our sin. Jesus paid it all. Also, at that same time, we're relieved from the power of sin. The Bible says that sin should not no longer have dominion over you. That the drugs, the alcohol, talk to that man right over there. Well, God changed his life. He's a drunk. Until the day he got saved and God took away his, his need for and desire for alcohol. Am I right or wrong? Amen. That's what God does. Through the washing and renewing of the Holy Spirit. He makes you a new creature in Christ. But we have that responsibility after we're saved because we sin. We still sin. And so we need to confess that sin and then we need to take the bull by the horns and we need to relieve that. To, to deal with that sin, not let it build up. You cannot lose your relationship with God once you're born into his family, but what sin does is it bars your, your fellowship with God. The communication like this stops when you allow a sin, the sin barrier to come in. You start having a conscience. Oh, you know, I you know, there I go again. Kick the can, go around, feel bad. Next thing you know, you're, you're, you're falling into depression, you're feeling bad about this and that, and you take your eyes off of God, and then you slip and fall, really slip and fall. The thing is, when we, when we see those things coming, to not let them build up like bricks in a wall, but to confess it and forsake it, and then to go on. Okay. I love that verse, because this is what, this is what James was talking about. You see, the, the doctrines of the Bible, the, of the Old Testament, the New Testament, they build on one another. They're meshed together. Well. Judge the fatherless. That, word, that term means to defend the fatherless. You have to grow up without a father to know what that's really about. But he'll do that. And he's gracious in that way, and he's gracious even in my, in my youth. That he, that he kept me from death. Numbers of time, he kept me from death in war. He kept me from death out on the cricks fighting for gold. He's a good God and only. And you know, God has always had a compassion for the disadvantaged, for the poor. For the defenseless. He's always made a way possible, like in the, under the Levitical law, that the poor and the needy would be able to support themselves. You have to understand back in, in those days that the nuclear family was, was much, much larger. Families, grandparents, great-great-grandparents, they lived together until they died and they passed on. And so there was an accountability, but people still fell into poverty and so on. Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you. But in Le Leviticus 19, it allowed for the gleaning of grain from the fields so that people could have their daily bread. Remember Ruth and Boaz? 
She wasn't even a Jew, but she'd been married to a Jew. And when she came back to Israel, she became under the, the federal head of that family. And when Boaz saw her out, out in that field, he found out who she was. He said, she's one of my daughters. And he told his men, you don't mess around with her. And you make sure she gets extra every day. Put some of those sheaths out there. Just let them go. Let her have those. I'm going to take care of her. And of course he did. He ended up marrying her and, and she became the great-grandmother of, 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 uh, of Jesse, uh, of David. Now, you know, and under the, in Deuteronomy 24, it contains the proviso for gleaning of vineyards and orchards and so on. So people, you know, there was no, there was no uh, welfare system. But you got to understand that the whole country was, a, was, a, was, a, was an agrarian-based society, okay? If you could get out there and work, you could, you, could, you could earn your daily bread, you could keep them starving, you might even, might even prosper yourself. And it was, God made that because he had a compassion for the souls of men and their needs, even down to their daily bread. So simply put, if we really love God, we'll do what we can to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. That's to fall into patterns of sin, of known sin. And in loving our neighbor as ourselves, we would see to their physical and spiritual needs. Verse 16 is a clear call to separation from sin, from evil doings. Sin defiles us and makes us unacceptable to God. It is the number one reason God cannot answer our prayers and will hinder our efforts to serve God. We need to be cleansed, spiritually cleansed of that sin debt or we'll end up paying for it ourselves. Whereas the believer to lose loss of fellowship and possibly losing spiritual rewards for our service. We've had some good teaching on that just recently about the, the judgment seat of Christ. The lost will face the, the great white throne judgment where death, the Bible says, death and hell will be cast forever into the lake of fire. Not a, not a pleasant thought. That's eternal separation from God. You should study up on, you should study up on hell and what it is. It's a place of torment, of flame, of agony. It's the, the believer, when we die, when the resurrection of Christ takes place, the believer is going to receive, that's, that soul and spirit that's, that's in heaven is going to receive a spiritual body, just like Jesus had when he came out of, uh, out of the tomb. He could eat, he could do, he could walk around, but he could walk through, you know, sufficiently, he could, he could appear to people, and who knows. It, it's something awesome to consider that when the soul leaves this existence, he's dead. Jesus said to that thief on the cross, the one that had the hope in Christ, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now listen up, the universe, they posit it's how many tens of billions of light years away. Heaven, the heaven of God's throne does not exist in this finite realm. And so in the blink of an eye, that soul, God can, can translate that through, makes warp speed look like Model T. There's so many things, awesome things that the believer is gonna have, know and have access to.
it'll be a wonderful thing. While there's no bad days in, in, in heaven, but there's no good days in hell because it's always just pitch dark. Those that have, that have enjoyed and lived for the darkness of this world, that's all you're ever going to get. Think on it. It's your choice. Verse 17 informs us what we're to do to expend our spiritual energy on. Um, there are evidences of the fruits of the Holy Spirit that need to be uh, seen in our life. We serve God because we love Him and we want to be obedient and to please Him. And that's where blessings begin, through simple obedience. Once we believe in him, once we trust in him, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. <clears throat> and one commentator said this, very, very simple, very, very succinct. Our love of mankind is the measure of our love of God. How much do you love your neighbor compared to yourself? How much, how much, how much uh, care do you have for the, for the person that doesn't have, the, uh, doesn't have a mother or a father? Do you even pray for them? Do you pray for those, those families in Israel and in the Gaza Strip that have lost family? 99 out of 100 of those people that have been killed are probably even closer than that. There's very, very few that are, that are saved. They're all in hell. That's why we take the gospel hither and yon. That's why we have a missionary in Beirut, Lebanon. That's why we have missionaries in, in Southern Africa. That's why we have missionaries in, in the Philippines. And that's why we need more missionaries here in our own country because our, spirit, our country is as spiritually dead as any country on the face of this planet. I've heard of churches in Africa that wanted to send missionaries to the United States of America to share the gospel with them. Because they had a burden for the souls. They see what's going on in our country and they have a burden about it. Praise God to them. So, if we would have that same kind of self-sacrificial love that God has for us, that agape love, of John 3.16, we would we try to inculcate in our own life that same type of self-sacrificial love for others. That we'd have a concern for their souls, we'd have a concern for their physical needs as we're able to do something about it. And again, there's a lot that we can do to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, and it's a work that I need to ever be more seriously about. It seems like, you know, uh, you know, you can't, even, uh, you can't even watch sports events anymore, especially the, the women, you know, it seems like they have a contest to see how, the, how much clothes they can take off when they go out to do their running or pole vaulting or swimming or whatever. You can't watch it anymore. Well, as, an, as I attempted to come to some kind of application for this message, I reflected on the past message, Pastor Demlo had done on the fruits of the Spirit. Remember Galatians 5.22? 
love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Above such there be no law. But the first, the first fruit that he taught on was love. And why do you suppose God put that one, the first fruit of the Spirit that he wanted to see in us? <laughs> because the love that he showed us, he loved us, we love him because he first loved us. He wants us to show to the world the love that he had for us, that we were willing to do anything to see their soul saved. And so I wrote down the first line on my notes about the fruit of love is, love is a spirit-controlled Christian a spirit-controlled Christian should evidence love for God and those around us. That's what I got from the first part of his message. And the last line of those notes, it said, How much am I concerned with the lives of others? Seriously. Well, I get, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm one for the comfort zone, I guarantee you. But the Lord gets me up off of my, my sofa long enough to get studied up and go to the jail. He gets me up in the morning so that I can pray. He gives me another, another day and length of life that somehow, some way I can give him a bit of glory. How, how that might ever be out of this wretched soul, I don't know, but that's my goal anyway, to give him a bit of glory through my life. As we learned, true joy comes from loving and obeying God, so it is evident that if we follow the dictates of our text, pure religion and undefiled, before God the Father is this, to visit the widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. If we do that, then all those fruits of the Spirit will begin to show. Because it's God come working through us. None of those things come natural. Well, people can say, oh, I have joy, I'm happy, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, it's not, it's not the kind of peace, it's not the kind of joy that passes all understanding. I've preached in the jail hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Some men have got saved. But just to get people to the point to understand that there is a great God of heaven and earth and all it is, that there is a heaven, that there is a hell, that there is accountableness for their sin, personal accountableness for sin, is a work that I'm ever gonna, never going to quit sharing with the world's people, with those people in the jail or wherever I get a chance. Because that's, it's all about souls. And if we value the souls, our own soul, if we value the souls of others, we'll do what we can to share that gospel, that gospel message, and to help people that, are, that, are, that have been held in the, the clutches of uh, impure, false religion that they can be set free. The Bible talks about in, in, in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, that they can be recovered out of the snare of the devil. 
Lost person, if you, if you aren't born again into God's family, you're in that snare right now. And he'll hold you until the moment in time you trust in Christ as your Savior. You say, oh no, oh no, I'm good. No, you're not. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It'll lie to you and lie to you and lie to you. It's Satan looking over your shoulder to tell you, oh, I don't need that. You don't need that. There are untold billions, perhaps, of souls in hell that wish that they had the opportunity to repent and believe, but they'll never have that chance. They're forever sealed in their condemnation. If you have the cognitive ability right now and you know you're not saved, why not come to Christ now? He's willing that none should perish, but all would come to him. It's your choice. Brother Caleb preached a, a wonderful message this morning, gave an invitation. Uh, I told him when I went over there, I didn't know if I could avail to eat any tacos because I already had the steak and uh, baked potatoes and apple pie and alamode. But I'll, uh, I'll just leave it for you if you want to take this for lunch. Get serious about the things of God while you have time. From the moment in time you step into God's family, I don't know anybody that's ever been born into God's family that regretted it. But there's billions and billions in hell today that regret it for, for eternity. They didn't make that choice when they had the opportunity. Okay. Preacher's worn out, tired, but happy and joyful to be here with you today. Think about that and, and begin to add these tools to your soul winning uh, uh, toolbox. You know, 